We sing songs like that, and I believe that if you truly let the lyrics of those songs resonate within your heart, you come face to face with a living, almighty God. His name is higher. His name is greater. His love never fails. He never runs out on us. He pursues us. How, when you look at those lyrics, how does it not resonate deep with inside of you to realize we are standing before a God who absolutely adores us and loves us? A God that is so perfect. A God that is so holy. A God that, that uh, we come into the presence of. And the only thing we can do is kind of crumble at His feet because we're definitely not that holy. But yet, instead of rejecting, us. He draws us in closer to say, I love you and I forgive you. So with that spirit, I come to you and I acknowledge that the things that we've been talking about and the whole Beatitudes, I, do not, I, I am not worthy to stand in front of you to share even what we're going to talk about or what we have been talking about. And the only way I can do that is through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. But when I think about that and I ponder that because I come into the presence of the Holy God and I'm encountering Him and my spirit is connecting with Him, I also realize that this is absolutely at the heart and crux of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Where Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, unless you exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. And as far as it is up to me, I will never ever be able to supersede the righteousness of the Pharisees. But it's only through the grace and the mercy and the death and the resurrection and the sanctification and the justification process of Jesus Christ that I'm, that I'm then able to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. And until we become individuals that are humbled and surrendered and contrite before God and realize that, we will never see or taste the things of God. But out of His richness of love and mercy, He draws us in through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, that ultimate sacrifice, which is the absolute gospel, the good news, saying that I don't deserve this, but yet you give it to me. And I pray that that gospel message finds every single one of us in that state, not arrogant, not prideful, not coming in with a heart that says, well, I deserve this, but a heart that is so contrite and humble. Last week, we started in this section of the Sermon on the Mount with murder. And basically what Jesus is saying is this. When I say that you need to supersede or rise above the righteousness of the Pharisees, here we go. Strap it on. And He begins to lay out in this next section really um, three or four different ways that we can exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Last week we talked about our words. Last week we talked about how destructive our words can be through our anger. And if we're not careful, anger resides, if those small seeds of bitterness goes into our hearts, it, what happens up comes a, a root of bitterness. And for some of us, we're murdering ourselves, we're murdering others around us because we have this unsettled business within our hearts and we're murderers. And Jesus says, don't come and worship under those pretenses because it's false. And in the Old Testament, he said the same thing. God said the same thing to the nation of Israel. He said, you guys are going through the motions. You got it. You know. And I don't know if, 
I don't know if God was so much condescending, but I could just see a God saying, well done, well done. You've, you've got the formality down, but the heart's not there. And I don't know if he's being so condescending. I think he was being very straight to the point. But um, I hope that's not how Jesus finds you and I today. I hope that he finds us in a contrite spirit that says, I can't do, there's no way I can do this on my own. It's only through the power of you, Jesus. And so last week we began to talk about that. And this week we're going to talk about another one, which is a heavy hitting one that's lust. For some of us, we will say, well, I don't deal with that. It's so easy to just tune out in a service and say, I don't deal with lust. And I think lust takes on so many different shapes and forms. I think lust can just, you know, whether it be towards another woman, whether it be towards a man, whether it be towards an object or a position or whatever it is, there's things that our hearts can just set our minds on or our minds can get set on and we can just lust after that because we don't have it and we will do whatever it takes to get it, even kill. And so this morning as we look at our passage of Scripture found in Matthew uh, chapter 5, uh, we're going to take a look at verse um, 20, 27. And in the message, I believe it's the message paraphrase we have in here first. It says, you have heard, uh, maybe it's in the ESV, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And he goes on to say, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you love one of your members than that your whole body be put into hell. Very tough teaching of Jesus. And as we look at this, uh, uh, again, it's another example of how we supersede the righteousness of the Pharisees. When we take a look at that word lust or lustfully or the intent, it literally means the, uh, the epi means, uh, there's a word epitamaya, which epi means I, thamias means passion. Literally, we set our eyes onto something and we just become so passionate about it that we have to have that. And so when we take a look at that word lust and break it down, it literally means something that we begin to really desire after. Now, desire can be good, right? Desire can be good. There can be good things to desire. If we desire to eat the right foods, if we desire to be healthy, if we desire to be spiritually healthy, if we des- you know, there's the positive side of desire, but then there's that negative side, which it's very interesting because when we read this, when we read this and Jesus talks about this, what he's saying to the Pharisees, yeah, you've got the first part right where it says don't commit adultery, but what you're not doing is you're not tying it with the tenth commandment, which says don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't covet your neighbor's possessions. Go back and read the Ten Commandments. It doesn't stop with a person, a wife. And by the way, I'm not just preaching to the men here. This is all of us. It doesn't just have, this message is not just for men lusting after another woman, but it goes to every single one of us that sets our eyes on something that we truly desire, and it might not be healthy, and we may lust after something, or we may slip into that whole concept of coveting. We covet after something, and Jesus is saying, you, that's, I mean, the, the, they're the same. Pharisees were like, wow, you know, we got this part right. I haven't committed adultery with anyone. And Jesus is going again after the internal, but your heart has. You've looked at someone. You've looked at something. You set your mind on something. You set your eyes on something to desire. 
And it means to desire something literally in particular, something very specific. And we begin to crave or lust for that certain thing. It's when we begin to direct our affection towards that thing. And so, again, we can't miss out that this seventh commandment that he's talking about, not committing adultery, is tied or interpreted through the tenth uh, commandment. And so one of the first things that I want to share with you, a couple of things, three things I want to share with you today, uh, some blurrings that we need, to, we need to make sure we have clarity on. And the first one is this, this or let me read this, this quote to you by John Piper. Piper says this, lust is a sexual desire minus the honor and holiness. Because when we desire something true, you know, uh, absolutely true, uh, there can be honor and holiness in it. Just like we, we can have a, a intense desire for our wives or our husbands, and that's not wrong. That's not wrong at all because there's honor in there and holiness. There's, there's a sanctity of marriage. There's the sanctity of union where that is what God has created. But it's when we go outside of these things, that's when it starts being stripped away with honor and holiness and it becomes something that is very sinful. And so the first thing as we share, there's three things where we go wrong, where we get off point, where the lines get, get blurred. And I want to make sure we understand it and take a different, or take a critical look at this this morning. The first one is this. A blurred standard of holiness. It's so easy for us when we think about holiness to think, okay, you know, and maybe some of you are sitting in here this morning like myself. When I think of holiness, I go back to my childhood and I think of holiness as far as like, you know, the holiness movement, the holiness, you know, revivals, the holiness preaching, the ho- you know, people uh, preaching to live holy, to become holy like God. For some of us, that can automatically take us right over into legalism. Because for some people, to be holy, you couldn't watch movies. You can't, you can't listen to music. You can't dress a certain way. You've got to wear your hair a certain way. Women, you can't wear makeup. You can't cut your hair. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. And the next thing you know, we start falling into this path of a false sense of holiness. A false sense of sanctification. And for some, it has driven a lot of people out of the church because it's a heavy burden. And it's the same thing that the Pharisees did. Now, is there truth behind some? Can there be some truth behind some of those? Absolutely. And we're going to talk about that here in a few moments. But here's the blurred standard of holiness. It's not what you do that makes you holy. The only way you can be holy is through the sanctification of Jesus Christ. The justification. Jesus Christ... Jesus Christ's crucifixion, crucifixion justifying us, making us righteousness, just as if I have never sinned, restoring us, making us new. And sanctifying means that sanctifying process is where we become more holy into the, image of, into the image of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Listen to what um, uh, a couple of these, or this statement by Hendrickson says. He says this, we have to take a drastic action in getting rid of whatever in the natural course of events will tempt you into sin. Now, I know I just told you that it's not what we do, but like I said, there is some merits to certain things. And so my question becomes, not going into legalism, but my question becomes this, how far do we go to be holy? You know, when we understand that Jesus Christ has forgiven us, that He has invited us into this awesome, loving relationship with Him, with the Father, and now we have eternity set in our hearts, when we get to that point, is that where we stop? I don't believe so whatsoever. I believe our whole lives is a continual process of becoming holy. For some of us, we are still celebrating our second birthday for the 30th year. 
We've stopped growing. Why? The question becomes, well, what is it that we will consider to become holy? Does that make sense? Again, it's, it's a response to this loving grace of Jesus Christ. How far are we willing to go to get rid of the things within our lives that, are not, that shouldn't be there? As far as our eyes are concerned, how far are we willing to go to not read the things that we may be reading that leads us into temptation, that leads us down the path of lusting? Some of us read materials, some of us look at materials that is not holy, that's not going to, that doesn't help us become more like Jesus Christ or coincide more into the, the, um, the yielding process of allowing the Holy Spirit to sanctify us. What, are the stuff that, what is the stuff that we fill our minds with? What is the stuff that we read? What is the stuff that we feed on? What is the stuff that we look at on TV? What are the things that we look at in the movies? What are the things that we listen to? What is the stuff that we ingest? Just like our physical nature, the things that we ingest, does it make us more healthy? Or does it lead us to a path of deterioration, making us feel horrible physically? Same thing spiritually. What is it that we feed on? What is it that you feed on on a daily basis? Do you feed on God's Word? Do you feed on prayer? Do you feed on spending time with Him? Desiring Him as, as uh, again, another John Piper thought, you know, desiring God, having that deep desire of God, wanting to spend time with Him. What is it that we will... We will keep our eyes from looking. Job in the Old Testament made a, made a pact saying, I will, I'm making a covenant with my eyes not to view things that I shouldn't view. What is it that we, what, what is it, what, to what extent will we go to keep ourselves, to help keep ourselves in a position that doesn't sabotage what the Holy Spirit wants to do within our lives? And here's the fact. Sin is a destructible force within our lives. Absolutely destructible force within our lives that, as one person said, should never and must not ever be pampered. I think for some of us, we pamper sin a lot. We allow things to come into our camp. We allow things to come in through the doors of our spiritual lives that need not be there. And... For some of us, we become, our guard becomes down, and the next thing you know, we're off doing things, off looking at things, participating in things that is literally running sabotage with what the Spirit of God wants to do within our hearts. Listen to what 1 Thessalonians says. Paul says this in, the, in his letter to the Thessalonica, and he says this in chapter 4, verses 3 through 8, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That's what God is in the process of doing, sanctifying us. Until we see Jesus, that's when we will be made perfect. You know, be made perfect. But he says, your sanctification. Then he says this, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That we abstain from sexual There's our part there, is that, that coinciding with God's Spirit in our lives. We're not doing it for legalism. We're not doing it saying this is what's going to make me holy. But we're coinciding with surrendering to God's Spirit. And we, we, we do everything we can to abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And then he goes on to say that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we are told as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you for God has not called us for impurity but in holiness 
Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives His Holy Spirit to you. I think Paul's message is ringing so clear to us today. What are we willing to do to to be in that ebb and flow of the sanctifying process with the Holy Spirit living within our lives? Staying away from the things. Abstaining away from things that we know deep down that, that is not pleasing to God. Things that will not get us to the right place of where we're wanting to go. It's kind of like a journey. We go on a journey. We want to go to the Grand Canyon. From here, I doubt many of us are going to go east. Right? doesn't make sense, does it? For some of us in our spiritual lives, we're, it's like we almost go the opposite direction. Well, there's some cool things over here. Yes, but... I want to go to the Grand Canyon. That's west. Now, I know some of you are going to say, well, there's a route that's going to take us somewhat east. And I've got some other words for you a little bit later on in the talk here. But what is it that we... What, to what extent... We, for some of us, we have this blurred concept of holiness. For some of us, we camp out and we say, that's legalism. I, I would take a close look. I'm not preaching legalism. I'm preaching living in the sanctifying process of the Holy Spirit. Allowing Him to make changes within our lives. Not yielding. That's why at the end of service I pray that we will have open hearts. Why? So the Holy Spirit can expose, can come in, can either encourage or convict. That's His ministry. To come into our lives and expose areas that's growing us closer to Christ. I've told you this before, and I'm not saying this to toot His horn by any means, but I've met some individuals in my lives that are older. One person is Harold Burke. I've sat down with Harold. He invites me over to his house. We sit down. We have conversations. And if any of you know Harold Burke, Harold is definitely a pupil of God's Word. Harold, 80-some years old, still searching, still devouring, still desiring to spend time with God, to allow His Word to minister to him, to share areas and things within his life where he's on this continual process of growing into the likeness of Jesus Christ. To what degree do we stay surrendered in that, in that ebb and flow with the Holy Spirit, clarifying the lines of blurriness of holiness? Listen to what Colossians says in Colossians 3, verses 5 through 8. I'm going to read it from the ESV and then the message. In the ESV it says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Listen to what the message, how the message paraphrases it. And that means killing off everything connected with that way of death, sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like, whenever you feel like it, and grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. It's because of this kind of thing that God is about to explode in anger. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better, but you know better now. So make sure it's all going for good, bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. That pretty much covers it, doesn't it? <laughs> Temptation has to be dealt with immediately. 
We read in James how Satan works. We see it in Eve, the very first, the very first time uh, Satan encounters humans. We read about it. It's the same thing. He comes in. He begins to entice. And if we allow that enticement to continue, if we entertain it, the next thing you know, it leads us onto a path of destruction and to eventually death. James tells us the same thing. Paul tells us how to deal with it. When temptation comes our way, take it into captivity. Take every thought into captivity for Jesus Christ and allow Jesus to deal with that. How far are we willing to go to become more like Jesus? To become more holy? To allow Him to sanctify us and create us more into His image? And oh, by the way, guys, there's another little thing that can hurt us too, and that's called idleness. Remember King David's story? We look about King David and we're told in the Scriptures that David was the man after God's own heart. And we read what happened to David, this very same thing that happened to David. He was idle one springtime. And as you read that story, it tells us that while all the other kings were out during this time, this is what they did, this season they were out conquering. They were out at war. David was a warrior. But we don't find David at war. We don't find David out conquering. Where where do we find David? Idle. And so he goes out onto his rooftop, and what happens? He sees someone bathing, Bathsheba. And instead of taking that very captive right there and walking away, he entertains. And this is exactly how Satan works for every single one of us. It's nothing new. It happened in scriptures. It's happened since Satan has been, since life has been around. And so Satan comes in. He begins to entice. David is idle, and instead of turning away, he begins to entertain. And the next thing you do, he starts acting upon that. And the next thing that happens, it leads to sin and ultimately a spiritual death in a sense. It can kill us. And it takes great discipline to say, I'm going to not allow that to happen. I'm going to guard everything I have. So very quickly here as we close this, just this point here, I want to give you some of the how-tos and, and, and ask a couple questions here. What attitudes do we see in our lives? What are the things that we see in our lives that doesn't lead us more into that process of, of sanctification but actually sabotages it? Do we struggle with the same type of duplicity as the Pharisees? When we look at that, does it say, well, technically I haven't killed anybody. Technically I haven't committed adultery. I mean, how many of us, truth be known, and I'm human and you're human, and I would suspect that every single one of us has fallen to this. Technically, I haven't done this. Technically. Technically, I didn't really follow through with this. I think back, and this isn't a political statement against anybody, but do you remember the days when Bill Clinton got impeached? They were trying to, they were in the impeachment process, and he was before the interviewers, and what was the big thing that he came out and said? Well, what is, is. Guys, that's when we've crossed the line. That's when we start saying, well, technically, I haven't done this. Technically, I haven't murdered anybody with my words. Technically, I haven't, you know, and we start down this, 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 this whole deception process, allowing Satan to just kind of take us deeper, deeper, deeper down this slippery slope instead of saying, you know what? This isn't what God would want for my life. And I repent. And I come back. It's not so much sticking to the letter of the law, but, you know, like I said last week, when it deals, when we deal with anger and we come and we begin to worship before God and we're instructed if anybody has something against us that we go to them, I think deep down I truly believe that the power of the Holy Spirit, if we're living in, in um, harmony with the power of the Holy Spirit, we know. 
As a child of God, we know if we've offended someone, if we've done something to ho- grievous to someone for them to hold a grudge against us. And I think that's where, again, we ask the question, how far are you willing to go to allow God's Spirit to make you holy? Is that something you truly desire? Because the Scriptures teach us that that is what it's about. It's none of this, I'm saved, I'm done, I'm waiting for Jesus to return. It's living and growing in the process of sanctification with Jesus Christ. And it takes great discipline. Listen to what Paul says. He says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I, may, I myself might be disqualified. Paul's saying that. Paul's saying, I'm going to beat my body into discipline because I don't want to stand before people that I've actually preached to and then fall to the same thing that I've been talking about disqualifying me. Uh, Eugene Peterson, the message says it this way, I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. No sloppy living for me. I, no sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else all about it, and then missing it out myself. How far are we willing to go for holiness? And again, guys, we're in this whole series called Culture, saying that the dominant culture is communicating things to us, is influencing us, are taking the words that we should be defining from the Word of God, and they're interpreting it, and they're defining it. And it's wrong. Paul says in Romans 12, 2, do not conform to, the, to, the, to, the, to, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How far are we willing to go to allow God to continue to sanctify us? The second thing is this, the blurred sense of power to change. And what this means is, and again, this, I want to be very clear because this can sound very like splitting hairs here. But it's not what we can do. Again, I get this thing where we beat our bodies in a discipline where we... It's this concept of staying surrendered. Knowing if there are things within our lives that, we, that the Spirit brings that, that shouldn't be there, that we abstain from those that we work so hard. I get that. But that's not going to lead us... To sanctification, it's the Holy Spirit that, that leads us into sanctification. But it's, it's doing everything we can to live in tune with the Holy Spirit. But this is the key. You can't do it on your own. Even when we can see these things, even when we can say, I've got this destructive habit, this destructive addiction, this destructive thing, attitude, or whatever in my life, we still can't eradicate it. The only thing we can do is live in harmony with the Holy Spirit, staying surrendered with Him so that He can eradicate it from our lives. Jesus says in John... 15.5, I am the vine, you are the branch. And when you re- remove yourself from the branch, you can do absolutely nothing. And what good are dead branches other than to burn them? Jesus says, stay connected to the vine. And that's when we're able to produce fruit because the Holy Spirit is producing it within us. Romans 13.14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Paul goes on to write in Galatians 5 verses 14 through 24, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. 
For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul writes pretty much the litmus test here, right? This, for me, this is the passage that I look at to say, how am I doing in my walk with Christ? Are some of these things creeping in? Are some of these things evident within my life? Because if they are, they're not of Christ. And oh, by the way, this is the fruit of Christ which only can be produced from me living in harmony with the Spirit of God staying connected to the vine. Am I seeing in my life joy, patience, love, kindness, peace, goodness, those things? Am I seeing the fruit of the Spirit within my life? That's how you know if you're connected to the vine. Are we seeing these things? Because without staying connected, we cannot produce those. So, let's, not, let's clarify the, the, the blurred sense of power to change and realize it's nothing that we can do even though we're called to, to participate in harmony with God's Spirit. It's, it's living in, in, in a state of surrender with God's Spirit, allowing Him to make those changes within our lives. The last one I want to share with you is this. This blurred standard for fighting sin. Why do we do it? Why do, why do we want to fight sin? I mean, ask yourself the question, why do you want to fight sin? Is it just not to go to hell? I mean, that, I, that could be one thing, right? That could be one thing. But let me just share with you another thought. Jesus paid a high price for us. Jesus paid an extremely high price for us. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 16 through 20, Paul writes this, uh, and this is in the message as well. It says, There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in Scripture, the two became one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the Master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which these sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies, now this is the motivating factor right here. This is clarifying why we want to fight sin within our lives. He says, these bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love for becoming one with another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place? The place of the Holy Spirit. Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. Paul writes and says, our bodies are God's. Our bodies are sacred. Our bodies aren't something that we just treat with, you know, just lack of intent, but our bodies that we, we realize they were saved, that Jesus paid a high price for. 
Our bodies are to be used to glorify God. We're set apart for holy use. Peter writes and says, we are the chosen ones. We are different. We're aliens. We're people that don't belong in this land. We're just moving through. And we're the holy temple of God. We are the temple of His Spirit. Remember, upon upon salvation, God places that gift inside of us of His Holy Spirit that leads, corrects, convicts, leads us into righteousness, those types of things. God places His Holy Spirit inside of us, which makes our bodies very sacred. Ephesians 2, verses 1-10, through 10, Paul writes this, You were dead in your transgression, trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among them we all once lived, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Why do you... Why are we saved? Why do we fight sin? Joshua Harris says this in one of his quotes. He says, True holiness is always concerned about pleasing God, glorifying Him, and ministering to the glory of Jesus. And he says, If we are truly justified, if we are truly saved, if we are truly justified, he goes on to say, We desire to be sanctified and we desire to grow in holiness. Basically what it's saying is we have clarity on holiness and what it means, striving for it, knowing how we participate with the Holy Spirit and the thing that we truly desire deep, deep down, that we see evidence of growth is living in conjunction and harmony with the Holy Spirit, allowing Him to sanctify us, allowing Him to help us to become more in the image of Jesus Christ. So our blurriness of holiness is gone. We understand the source of change. We understand that it's not us, that we can't do it. I can't do it. But only God can do it in and through me. And my role is to remain and to live in harmony with Him. And then we have this very crystal clear of why we do it all. Because Jesus has paid a high price for us. He loves us. He paid a high price for us. Our bodies are now His. Our lives are now His. That means whatever He wants to do, we live in harmony with that. We allow Him to do what it is that He wants to do in and through us because His Holy Spirit takes up residence within ours. And we guard it with everything that we have. As the worship team comes, we're going to close our time out here this morning with this part. And we're going to engage and participate in one last song. And like I said before, and like I've shared with you before every week, I pray that this might be a time where you would allow the Holy Spirit to come into your life to say, Jesus, uh, you know, am I, am I, where am I at? 
Do I have some blurry lines in here? Do I have some blurry definitions? Do I have some blurry perceptions on some of this stuff? Maybe some of us are sitting in here this morning, and when we talk about murder and we talk about lust, it's like, it's like you're, it's like you, it's like you and I have had a conversation, and you've admitted something to me, and you're sitting in here this morning, and what you're feeling right now or can feel is a sense of shame and guilt. I just want to say this, guys. I don't know where you are. But that is the Holy Spirit in your life exposing and saying, this is off. And let's not just stop there. Again, let's not embrace the letter of the law. Well, technically, well, technically, well, this message doesn't apply to me because I don't really have anger. This message doesn't apply to me because I don't lust. But yet deep down there are things that the Holy Spirit saying, yeah, but me. You're not living in conjunction to the sense of holiness. You're not tapping into the power of source of growth. You're not fighting this. You're not living this. You're not disciplining your body for the one particular reason of absolutely loving God and understanding that your body has been saved, that you have been saved and you've been set apart. I pray that you would allow the Spirit to just connect with yours. Some of you are in here this morning. You're in the process of disciplining yourself, but you're still growing. But truth be known, you're celebrating because you can relate and you understand. You understand how easy it is to get on that slippery slope. And you understand how careful it is. And you are extremely careful about not putting yourself in that position. You're extremely careful about not exposing things that you don't need to see or hear or touch or whatever it is. You're very sensitive to those things. Please, would you please pray for others in here that are broken, that are struggling. Or Satan wants to pull them away and rip them apart because they're experiencing shame and guilt that only sin produces. And instead of being stripped away and running away, would you pray that they would turn and run towards Jesus to find that sense of healing and hope and forgiveness and grace and mercy and the power to live in His in harmony with His Spirit. I don't know where you are this morning, but I pray that you would just allow the Spirit to connect with you and just allow us to begin to sense, I want my righteousness to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. I don't want this to be a game anymore. I want to recommit, or I want to commit for the very first time. I don't know where you're at, but I pray that you just allow the Holy Spirit to connect with you and lead you, and that you would respond appropriately the way He wants you to. And you're going to leave here a changed individual. Would you do that as you stand and, and we pray together? Jesus, I thank you for these words. In one sense, in another sense, I really struggle with them because they're, it, it's, they are very penetrating. It stings. It cuts deep. It produces shame. It produces guilt. It produces fear at times. But we also know that your spirit wants to take up residence in our lives and has taken up residence in our lives and is wanting to bring us back and clean us up and give us a sense of renewal, refreshment, refreshing. So I pray this morning that you would, uh, wherever we are at, Father, you know exactly 
where each person is. You know exactly what people are thinking right now. You know exactly their attitudes and their hearts. You know exactly what's going on. I pray that if there's resistance, that you would break through. I pray that instead of you finding resistance, that that you would find an openness and a humbleness and contriteness and a state of surrenderedness to you. So I pray that you would just do your ministry right here, right now. I pray that we would just leave this place changed. And I pray all this in your name. Amen.